0: Alrighty, okay, let's get started with Naukan no Manzara. Om Namo Adihanthanam, Om
1: Namo Siddhanam,
0: Om Namo Aryanam. Om Namo Guvajayanam,
1: Namo Loesabhasanam. So panchanamokaro, so a panasano Mangalancha, so we sing Padamam.
0: Hey, good, morning. Hey. Good, morning. Good, morning. good morning. Good morning. I'm cold. You're cold. We don't have Your dad a has a jacket. Oh, this is my white coat. Oh, <laughs> that's even better. That's even better. It's yeah. going to it's going to serve as a blanket, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, welcome everybody back to the Dad's class. I'm Paresh, filling in for Tim, um, most of y'all know me but for those who don't, um, I'm a professional money manager and um, I, have, uh, I have my own firm, I manage uh, money for individuals, small businesses. We basically help folks uh, uh, achieve their investment goals. That's, uh, it's a passion with me. I try to do this as uh, uh, diligently as I can, day in and day out. Um, When Tim asked me to kind of uh, lead the discussion, um, uh, I was happy to do it, but I I, I did it because I have enormous respect for Tim. And, uh, um, you know, there are some issues that I obviously have disagreements with him, and I let that know in the class. But uh, I, uh, I think it's an uh, he. What he does is uh, tremendous, and uh, there are some things that I actually he's helped me understand that I would not have otherwise understood. So I, uh, it's I'm very very grateful to him for 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 doing this. Alright, uh, so as I said, we're going to be discussing uh, money and finance um, and it's going to be a discussion, so I'm not here to preach anything, um, just uh, an open-ended discussion. I actually was uh, thinking what I'll do is I'll start off with sharing with you all my experiences and what I have learned over the 25 years Uh 25 plus years of uh, my career. And then, you know, we'll just uh, let it flow the way it goes, yeah? Sure. So, um, uh, as I said, it's, uh, you know, my lessons, and the first one is that um, um, I am still a student, okay? Investments is such a vast and fluid area that uh, nobody can ever claim, actually, in my personal view, to know everything. It's uh, a constant learning process. You learn new things. um, And so I've always, or I have come to realize that I'm a student and I learn. And my objective is never to consider myself a master and be receptive and, and keep that process going. Uh, one of the surest ways that you, <laughs> you know that you're uh, a student is that when you make a mistake and you know, like many investment professionals, I make mistakes too, even today. So um that's one of the biggest things for me is not to consider myself master just be a student and keep learning so you know if anybody has any any questions or any comments or any inputs please feel free to jump in at any time uh, number two um, as I meant why I was talking about mistakes so I have observed in my career people tend to take mistakes more seriously than their successes. So, you know, when you make a mistake, people beat themselves up. They say, why did I do this? Whether it is actually buying an idea or not buying an idea, right? Why did I do this? Um, You know, what I think helps investor actually be a better uh, per a better investor is to be balanced. You should take the, the learnings from your mistakes, but at the same time, the learnings from your successes are also important. What worked, why it worked is equally important as to what didn't work and why it didn't work. Because focusing just on the negatives actually makes you a less positive investor and makes you miss opportunities that you otherwise would have been more receptive to okay there is a there's a whole area in finance called behavioral finance and I'm not going to go into that but it actually is a vast area people they go into the psychological aspects of how investors behave how they're how their experiences tend to influence their decisions. And uh, uh, investors typically uh, focus on the negatives more than the positives. That's what the the research has indicated. So um, that's one thing I think uh, I have I've tried to um, not let negative events mm-hmm. negative experiences negative ideas uh, or my mistakes um, overtake the positive ones keep it balanced and i think it'll be, you'll be you'll you'll find the results are better
1: and i think that rule applies to mostly anything what we do every day right, right. Uh, whatever you're doing finance finance items so you have uh, positives you have success and you have negative human nature by itself is you keep living in that negativity longer yeah. you know you, you you gave an interview and nine out of ten went really well one did not and you keep stiff on that yeah. one piece yeah. how did that happen right so that's a human tendency but that's a very well good good lessons yeah. to put it across and keep reminding yourself
0: yeah
2: Yeah, know that's also high level because you step down a notch further, the very first thing you either gave the interview or you invested is you thought positively about it. Now you're trying to dig deeper and see, okay, what's good, what's bad, at that time, it's the evaluation phase. So, uh, I don't know, perhaps it's okay to consider the negative points, but I, I do see your point in terms of what is the, like, you know, don't don't try to be always pessimistic.
0: Yeah. Right, right. It's It's got to be balanced. I, that's the point I'm making. It's got to be balance you. I, the, I, the point I guess I was trying to make is from an investing standpoint since money is in, involved, investors tend to be, uh, there's, a, there's a, a concept called disposition. You know, you tend to focus more on capital preservation and you tend to, uh, uh, for example, hold on to your losses and quick to take profits. That's a, it's a tendency, it's a human tendency. Uh, You know, whatever people think, oh, it'll come back, and you know, I don't want to take losses. I've seen before things bounce back. Those kinds of things are, hinder an investor's ability to make rational decisions. An investment has to be judged, and I'm, Kind of deviating now, but has to be judged on the merits, not whether you think it's going to come back and not come back. If it's a, if it's the thesis is valid, it is valid. If it is not valid, it is not valid. You gotta be up. Price has no. But uh, I I see your point. I mean, the fact that you get in, yeah, it's a positive that you're focusing on. And I I I, I, I will, uh, yeah, I think that's that's true. Alright, the fourth one um, is respect the markets, you know, I have learned in the initial, uh, at the start of my career, I always thought, you know, market is participants, all people who come to the market and indulge in investments. And so all you have to do is be smarter than the rest and you'll make money. Well. Uh, you know over the years it turns out that that approach or that thinking is not what I found out to be correct. Uh, Markets you have to have a very healthy respect for the market the collective wisdom is important Uh, you you can't be you can't be dueling it out you market gives opportunity for everybody at any given point in time. Respect that, take the opportunity. Sometimes you will succeed, sometimes you won't succeed. And um, just you know to perceive it as an entity that you're dueling against is not necessarily a good way of looking at it. Respect it, you know it's like it's like uh, uh, you know, in businesses, especially we Indians, we have the Lakshmi Pujan and the Chopra Pujan and, and you know, I at least I, you know, when I, used to, when I used to go to my dad's office when I was young, we were taught to respect the business, you know. It's like our Anadatta. Respect it, it's going to give you opportunities. Take it, don't be bitter. Don't, don't try to um, have ill feelings and just be a participant at your level. You're not going to be able to do everything. You're not going to be successful all the time. You're not going to beat the market all the time. Um, it's a psychological makeup, how you perceive it. And I've learned that just being respectful of the market is my psych- in, in, for my psyche a good thing. It makes me a, a more calmer investor. A more satisfied investor. You're thoughtful. You have a question? No. You have a comment? <laughs> no? I uh. to make money. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in,
3: you sometimes wonder almost 25 years ago, um, some people say, hey, you know, I give my money to, but you probably won't like this comment, but how would I give it to a third party to invest my money? In this day and age, all the tools, the access to your brokerage, right? To online trading is available. But you just made a very good point. Um, we as individuals uh, sometimes may not practice those principles. It's a person that is, you know, who is a participant who knows that has more an applied way of rationalizing the markets versus us who are new and, you know, make heart. Harsh decisions, like you say, pulling
0: on to our losses, and all that. Quite good reason why. Yeah, uh, um, th- these are very important points you bring up. I mean, it's not a pitch for for, for uh, investment managers, but <laughs> that's the only reason you pay managers is to avoid the mistakes that you, as a individual investors, would make. Right. The idea of balance sheet. And income statements and cash flows and EPS and P, those are very, those are really okay. Those are measures, those are indicators, and people, and managers look at all these things. But what is most important, in my personal view, is that you have a manager who does not get emotionally swayed by markets. I mean, and markets are tough these days, especially, it's because of these tools and the technology that has come into play. You've got volatility that, you know, that's huge these days. It, you know, things move crazily. And to maintain one's uh, composure, calmness, the focus of long-term, those are the only reasons I think. um, you justify paying your investment manager, quite frankly. But yeah, those are very, very, very valid points. Um, the other thing I've learned uh, is that markets are never right or wrong. Markets are markets. It's the investors who are right or wrong. Um, NASDAQ was at 5,000 in two, year 2000. It subsequently went down to 2,000 in 2009. And now it's uh, about 9,000. So was, I mean, you know, was market wrong at, in 2000? Was market wrong in 2009? Was market, is market wrong now? No. In my view, markets are markets. It's like a lifeless entity. You know it's there participants can make a decision at that point and they have to uh, be I mean there's ha there has to be a reason for the decisions that they make but you can't say the market is wrong or the market was wrong and I am right and you know it's it can't be a uh, uh, us versus them again mentality. Uh, opportunities at in in five in, in year 2000 were on the sell side. It gave the market gave you that opportunity to sell. Cisco was at about 100 dollars. Okay. Today there are opportunities to sell as well. It's up to the investors to decide what they want to do can't blame the market for the decisions and investors, uh, that an investor makes. It's actually very important um, psychologically, if you think about it, um, to understand that uh, you are dealing with something that is um, totally uh, unbiased, totally uh, um, unbiased, emotional right markets are not emotional investors are that's what drives the prices up and down but you're dealing with a completely lifeless entity here when we talk about financial markets Uh, number five and that uh, leads me to the next point know what type of an investor you are there are hundreds of ways of making money in the market you've got hedge funds who have who uh, uh, use artificial artificial intelligence now. Uh, they are focused on uh, all kinds of factor investing is there. Um, there are investors who use technicals to make money. There are day traders. Uh, there are institutions who have a long-term orientation. There are multiple investors in the marketplace with multiple objectives. Uh, and this is interesting, Germany's 10-year government bond has a negative yield of about 20 basis points. So you would, you would think, who's in there, who in the right mind would say, yeah, I want to invest in a German 10-year government bond that is guaranteed to make a loss for me. It's guaranteed. You buy that bond, you're guaranteed to make a loss. But there are investors who are buying that. And there, 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 there may be institutions who, are, who have mandates. So there are certain institutions, pension funds for, for in particular, who have certain mandates. So they will say 20% of their investments have to be in fixed income. And uh, out of those 20%, they will appoint managers and they, some of them will have uh, index that they are benchmarked against, which has government bonds. And if they don't buy that, they are opening themselves up to massive questions later on. Well, you were supposed to be benchmarked against that index. You didn't buy it. Give us the reason. And if it goes from negative 20 to negative 50, you you suddenly are in a hot seat. So a lot of these things, um, um, I mention it because you have to know what type of an investor you are. Uh, how you are, how do you deal with um, volatility. Yeah, a lot of investors don't like um, even a slight dip in their portfolios. It makes them very nervous. It makes them very edgy. It's, um, they lose uh, confidence in the, the, the concept itself at times. When you have a big dip like we had in 2008, people said, oh, this is all rigged. This is completely, uh, you know, uh, manipulated by the big boys. I'm not playing this. They got out, and they've. I, we're in discussing investments. Oh, okay. and uh, my experiences in the marketplace. okay. So feel free to jump in any time. Okay. Um. Yeah. So people uh, got. Uh, uh, who got really scared or uh, bitter about what happened in 2008? Got out, have lost out in the best decade for investments by far. I mean, from 2009 to 2019, now it's been just an amazing 10 years. If you, you know, I mean, now, uh, S&P from uh, about 666. That was a number at the low. 666 the devil's uh, number, right? 666, <laughs> six, six, it's over, what is it, 3,000 now? Mm-hmm. Or somewhere there? 30, yeah. It's incredible what a run it has had. But um, my point is, know what type of an, type of an investor you are. Uh, at least I have learned that I'm a very uh, long-term oriented, patient, fundamentally driven investor, and I like to invest with a very long-term orientation. I'm not a short-term investor. I don't take uh, short-term positions. Uh, I'm very uncomfortable um, trying to uh, play events. Oh, uh, this company has uh, results getting declared tomorrow. Let's see, I think it's going to do well. Let's buy something and sell it. But that's not what we do, or at least that's not the type of investor I am. Um, But it works for some people, okay? I'm not going to say it doesn't. It works for some people. Uh, These are your active daily traders who take these positions. They are there for a day or two, maybe even less. They're out. All power to them. But for those investors, they have their own set of disciplines that they observe and that's what makes them also successful actually. So Whatever type of investor you are, just be aware um, uh, of, of what type of investor you are and what the expectations are, uh, given, given that orientation. Um, the next one is I've learned to give due consideration to all ideas. You know, at the start of my career I was like, oh this is not good, oh, somebody would mentioned that like, you don't know anything i know much more you know i have maybe it's the age maybe it's uh, the the beating that i've taken at times but i've kind of realized that there is no bad idea okay there are only bad calls that investors make no idea is bad every idea needs to be given due consideration you may act on it you may not act on it but don't dismiss it, uh, what, you know, maybe considered radical or, or really <coughs> fringe at one time, could be uh, actually the, the uh, uh, idea of, uh, of the decade, you know? People did, dismissed Amazon in the early 90s as uh, something that's not gonna work, and look at where it is today. So I, I try to, I try my best to never dismiss any idea. I gave it due consideration. I might not act on it, but uh, be humble. It's one thing that carries you well in the investment world because uh, you know you're you're going to be finding out <coughs> at some point or the other that uh, you know your idea was not the right idea, and uh, at that time you're going to be faced with the the the. Um, reality that your your ideas are not the only ideas that work other people's ideas also work so be open Um, the other one is speaking of ideas and this is probably the hardest part of my job is to assess and i said due consideration and when i do give due consideration uh the one, I, the ideas that are not working, the ideas that are working are easy, you let it ride. It's working, it's going up, I'm smart. But the ideas that are not working, um, assessing those ideas and making a call on those, those are really difficult, really, really difficult. They challenge you intellectually, My, they challenge you uh, ethically also and they challenge you in a very humble way in other words are you being honest with yourself or not it's not working okay and i'll i'll uh, you know if if you're if you're in the energy sector you know what that means when things are not you know things haven't been working for the last 5 years so you you face up to it and you assess it and you say am i supposed to be in this or not and there is not you know there is no standard formula as to how you arrive at a conclusion, um, but be honest to yourself. I think works really, really well. If you believe, if you've done your work, if you've if you've looked at it at, at it really thoroughly, and you come to the conclusion that it's not the right thing to be uh, in, accept it. Don't run away from it. Just... There is, there, is, there is no glory in deceiving yourself, let me just put it that way. Be very, very candid. If, if you arrive at a decision that it's not working, it's not working. But assessing that those kind, those kind of situations is the hardest part of my job. It really is. I spend a, a tremendous amount of time and energy um, when I have to when I'm faced with those situations. It actually is very draining. But hey, it's part of any profession. There are, you know, there are aspects of any profession that that drain you. But uh, you know, you have to face them. You have to learn and uh, deal with them. And 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 that's. I put it in there because I think those, that aspect is, is the toughest part, okay? Um, a last couple of points I'm going to make, um, and these are more general, uh, and these are kind of, uh, uh, you know, the sayings in the market, okay? So one of, the first one is this. Uh, one from uh, John Templeton. He's a legendary investor uh, in the investment world. Uh, you know the the fund house Templeton funds that 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 was uh, his. So he said, bull markets are born on pessimism, grow on skepticism, uh, mature on optimism, and uh, die on euphoria, which is you know. I try to keep that in mind all the time when I'm looking at the macro picture. Um, I get this I get uh, this question asked all the time, hey we are 10 years in the bull market, what do you think? Are we due for a big correction? And um, uh, my answer to that is really that bull markets don't die of age, old age. They die on euphoria, I don't see much euphoria. Euphoria is typically associated with bubbles, okay? Generally speaking, not necessarily, but generally speaking. And uh, a good way of being um, cautious is when you see bubbles forming. Whether it was the tech bubble in 2000, and again, this is hindsight, so it's easy to spot, right? It's not easy to spot when the actual event is occurring, but uh, tech bubble in 2000, housing bubble in 2008. Um, my sense is we are, you know, we are in, a, uh, in a, a bubble, not not yet a fully formed bubble, but in the initial stages of fixed income bubble, rates are extremely low, very, very low, and it's been going on for a very long time. Uh, so probably that's the area we are going to have problems. In when you know when we do get there, but right now we are not, so I, I, I think we are okay at, at this point. But that's, uh, that's, a, that's a quote from uh, Sir Templeton that I, I try to keep in mind. The other one, and um, this is a, a shameless plug for capitalism, okay. I am a, a, a my profession directly deals with capitalism and uh, so i'm a, i'm a capitalist through and through i believe in it and so this one comes from winston churchill and i also i i i, I say this because uh, these days socialism seems to be kind of getting some some sort of attraction especially with millennials okay and so those of us who have lived through socialism, you know, some of us have come from India. We have lived there. We have seen what it is like. This is a this is something for us to keep in mind. The inherent vice of capitalism is unequal sharing of blessings. The inherent vice of socialism is the equal sharing of miseries. Okay, it's a. Uh, uh, Churchill said this a long time ago, and I think it's very, very relevant. All right. Can
3: you repeat it one more time, please?
0: The, sure. Yeah. Happy to. The inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The un- the inherent vice <clears throat> of socialism is the equal sharing of miseries. It's very interesting that Winston Churchill, I mean,
3: someone, one of the leaders, was considered has said it, and he's one of the pioneers, right? Yep. I mean, of the U.S., uh, I, I don't know much about it, but I, U.S. in general, so the economy is part of it, right? So
0: Right. Well, he was the prime minister of uh, UK. UK. U.K. Oh, okay. Yeah.
3: Sorry.
0: In, and he was very instrumental in World War II. Um, and, um, so, yeah, but he, um, you know, I, I, interestingly, he lost his re-election bid yeah. after the World War. It was one of the most uh, amazing uh, outcomes uh, at that time. People thought, you know, it's Churchill, right? <laughs> it's Churchill. What's interesting
3: is he's saying, I mean, basically he's making case for unequal sharing of blessings, right? And as you said, rightly said earlier, that it's a plug for capitalism. And that's what it is about. It, uh, because it makes me wonder sometimes, you know, like, oil and gas companies go drill in Nigeria, Africa, and uh, those resources and obviously they try to do something for them but at the end of the day the investor in US is making money for, for drilling in the uh, Africa or anywhere else in the world which is exactly what it is unequal sharing of blessings because obviously they're getting a piece but probably a, a minute piece of this blessing that they have underneath and more, maybe taking a lot more of the um, the bad side of it which is uh, so obviously a, somebody a pioneer of the world uh, uk in, in this case saying that obviously is inherent in the in the business that's developed
0: over the years yeah i think it's a great point and there's is, there is argument to be made that uh, you know companies need to be more socially responsible um, and i think that they are to to a large extent taking that you know you don't you know, for example, they take their um, uh, uh, environmental <coughs> responsibilities a lot more seriously these days than they were previously. You know? And it's a good thing. But at the same time, you know, it's a, uh, these kinds of, uh, the, the idea of unequal sharing, okay, is a concept that that capitalists urge other people to embrace. So why would that be? I mean, my personal view, You. the idea of equal sharing is just not work, going to work. The degree of unequal sharing, we can debate, but if you're going to, if you're going to, um, employ a capitalist system you know Nigeria for example it's inviting tenders right it's inviting worldwide tenders companies from all over the world bid for it there are terms there are rules there are regulations that they have to follow there's clear um, Nigeria clearly thinks it's in their best interest to invite these companies bid for the tenders and, and conduct business there I mean it's it's, it's something that they want to do and they have accepted the unequal sharing of blessings. And I think it's, it's healthy for people to embrace and accept that capitalism's, capitalism is not designed for equal sharing. That's what Communism and socialism tried to do, and failed miserably, very miserably. I mean, you know, very bad consequences. Um, one of, I mean, it's it's documented. We don't have to make numbers up. How many people lost their lives in in, in Soviet Russia? It's incredible, and China, by the way. So. Um, and, and I, see the, the, I see the point about unequal distribution, but we've, you have, we have to embrace it. Otherwise, it's going to be always having, feeding this ill will against the system. Uh, and it's not, I don't think it's going to be helpful to either Nigeria or, or look, Nigerian people are better off that Exxon and Chevron are there doing business, as opposed to warlords. Uh, taking over the resources, which is what is happening in, in a lot of these places and and and, uh, and basically looting for their personal gains. But it's an important point. I think it's getting more and more attention.
3: Well, what I think on the other side, and I, again I'm not against capitalism, I, I think that works better than, and you have to always go for the efficient system which is less efficient. Uh, but what, what I've also seen, by, by doing so, what happens, you create uh, almost, uh, whether we call it or not, in India we used to call it caste system. And here also, in US, you have social societies, you know, you have uh, the people who are, who are rich, filthy rich, and then rich and the other, and, and multiple different levels. And when we think from Jainism standpoint, right, what's going to happen is, you have somebody who is very poor and you have somebody that's filthy rich. So the mindset have a lot of effect on it. And then our, um, these differences, can also create other social issues, which can, especially the gap goes widened, That's why they talk about you know the gap between the, the rich and the poor should not be this far. And especially when the capitalist goes to an extreme level, that's when it's gonna happen. The rich is gonna be richer and richer, and the poor is gonna be poorer and poorer, uh,
0: in a way. Make how that, uh, how, how, why would you make that contention?
3: The, the reason I, or at least in
0: my mind, what happens is that
3: <clears throat> people like Warren Buffett and things like that, right, who who has ability to, to throw in a big weight, even if the market goes down, they're going to be okay. I, I think uh, they will support themselves with the uh, uh, either the smartness or their uh, weightage in different markets. Where somebody who has even no exposure or... A little bit of exposure may have a, a larger effect uh, to the lifestyle, and uh, when that happens, uh, that, for example, I remember '93 riots in Mumbai. I mean, you know, people were uh, trying to, to somebody was filthy rich and somebody's poor. Poor is like, okay, I'm going to protect you, and you have to pay me the the tax. And after that, it became almost like that. All the all the riches or builders and things like that had to start paying the, They're like, oh yeah. They can. They they're they wanting to do this. Uh, they're wanting to pay the tax to protect them. So I, and again, I'm I'm kind of comparing two different things. But yeah, uh, it it is capitalism on extreme as I'm talking about, which is
2: I don't think it's the case. Yeah.
0: That's uh, yeah. No, look, regulation of any system is needed. <clears throat> Nobody, at least I don't advocate laissez-faire like anybody do whatever, you have to have rules, you have to have regulations, and everybody has to follow those rules and regulations. So if, for example, somebody is indulging in insider trading and trying to extract illegal games from a, from the system, they should be not only apprehended, but they could be put to jail. Absolutely. No, no <coughs> Nobody should be, No, should, nobody is advocating for laissez-faire, at least I don't. Okay. My, the, the thing about the extremes that you mentioned, Warren Buffett, um, and I wouldn't, I, I'm not an advocate of using filthy reach, uh, you know, they are, they are decent rich people, okay. They happen to be rich and they do really good work. By the way, Microsoft's Bill Gates yeah, has a foundation a and he does a lot of work in India a lot of work in India and he's helping a lot of people and Warren Buffett is pledged to give all his, mm-hmm. all his wealth away to the Gates Foundation. A lot of these rich people do a lot of good work. I, I'm, I actually don't resent them at all. I'm, I'm very, I, I'm glad they are doing what they are doing. Uh, they probably do a better job than governments do.
3: Oh, that's Bill Gates definitely, and Warren Buffett. I mean, I use that word because we all know about it. But there are billionaires that we don't even know about, and they are they are not as forthcoming in the social responsibility as Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, or in the in fact, (laughs) uh, as young as he is, the um, uh, the Facebook guy, Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. He he's he's doing that as well. In fact, he created a foundation pretty early, and that was uh, a talk. And uh, I, I somehow with the millennials, as you mentioned earlier. The social responsibility, I mean, working for an energy company, we're talking, we're just starting to talk about social responsibility and carbon emissions. I mean, it's been known for years since we've been doing the business. But now it's the the reason it's required, because it's the requirement to do the business. It's, it's p- because people have taken the initiative. It's driven by, I mean... Even Exxon until this point, I mean, we're in the denial phase in the UK. Uh, our company picked up earlier because it's the France. In France, you can't do a business because you just... So what I'm saying is, it's great that we're starting now, but <coughs> it's in a wake of a lot of protest from social side <coughs> and social responsibility, which is, uh, I think it's a, it's a great
0: start. Late, but good start. Yeah. There's, a, uh, there's a guy called Simon Lack. He runs a forum called SL Advisors from New Jersey. In, he's in New Jersey. Uh, he does a lot of work on energy. He's actually an energy investor. He runs mutual <coughs> funds. He runs uh, funds focused on energy, just energy, okay? And um, he um, uh, talks a lot about climate change and the effect uh, of climate change and how energy companies, energy investors need to respond he's actually sympathetic I mean, most of as you mentioned, you know, most of people in the energy industry and energy world have tend to dismiss uh, climate concern, climate change concern, but he's very sympathetic but, but he says and again, I'm not saying you're advocating this, but he points out that the more radical and more extreme elements of the climate change movement have taken over this whole uh, uh, movement. And what is happening is uh, that it's, it's repulsing general people, common people, and it's not a good thing. I, you know, we know that from experiences in the other, other areas, when extremism comes in, it's uh, it always backfires, always backfires. And so, uh, these concerns are valid concerns and they need a very thoughtful and a very nuanced, very mature responses. But, you know, uh, I find, you know, there's a, there's a group called Extinction Rebellion in UK. The other day, just to make a point, their activists jumped on a train. It's this is commuting commuting time, nine o'clock, prime commuting time in UK, and they disrupted the whole uh, train uh, system to make a point that that enough is not being done on, on on climate issues. Now there are people there are people who need to get to work. Their jobs could be online. They have to feed their families. I mean, you have. If you want to make a point, make a point. But you can't. You can't be disrupting the lives of people like that. They drag these people down from the train and actually, you know, physically drag them out of the station. So it's the point in telling you all this is yes. Um, millennials have have brought this issue to the fore which is a good thing but we need very thoughtful minds and we need thoughtful responses uh, by the way CO2 emissions in the US are at the lowest points they have ever been in the history of the United States history of the United States and he's he's got data he's saying we are by far the most active and the most effective country on this planet when it comes to climate change and what we are doing is by far leaps and bounds ahead of any other country and yet our companies and our uh, 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 sectors are being targeted the most. It's because we are an open society, we entertain. You know, all kinds so of views. Part of the reason
2: also is because we are consumers of what's being made in China. We pushed everything over the manufacturing in China. So that's part of the reason why the emissions are lower. I mean, today you go to apply for permits to like, you know, like, okay, you're creating like a thousand plus jobs and you want to build a brand new refinery. You're not going to get it at all, A, because of the regulations in general. Uh, but a bunch of other factors, too. So that's part of the reason, also, why. But yet, with our or borrowed dollars, we are still supporting the industries and what's being manufactured out of China. Uh,
0: I don't know if we actually pushed, but it's the capitalist system, right? Uh, capital it flows, is. capital Pushing. flows where the returns are uh, justified. I mean, today it's China. Tomorrow it could be Vietnam, and it's already, it, it, it's already happening. happening. Uh, we read, we I read a lot about uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, migration from China to other countries. But um, I think your larger point is, you know, U.S. consumers will consume irrespective of where it's produced, whether it is China or India or sure. Vietnam or if it's produced even in the U.S., they're going to consume. I mean, somebody is filling the need. China is not it <coughs> really out of, out of, their, yeah, it's, not not social, yeah. it's not a social, it's not a charity that they are doing. They want those right. jobs right. created there. They are fighting for those jobs, yeah. as a matter of fact. They are fighting for, uh, for U.S. companies to be there, and European companies for that matter. Um, look, my point only in, in bringing this up is, we need thoughtful responses. In my personal view. You have to be nuanced, you have to be balanced. You can't take things out of out of context, out of control. And if, if 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 you make a thoughtful case, I think people will listen. People listen. But if you're just gonna, you know, be extreme about things, I think people just tune you off.
2: Yeah. I, I'm I agree on all that, but at the same time yet these very companies they don't necessarily support One way or the other, and just from my standpoint, I mean, these days anything that we buy, like, you know, vehicle or washing machine, microwave, whatever, it has a life of five years. Like, you rewind back to 15, 20 years back, they had a life of 30 years, but now that's a new way of making money. But what's the collateral damage, right? I mean, to the environment, to a bunch of other things, we're taking this whole piece and it's trash. It's garbage, right? That's contributing to a lot of environmental issues, so... I hear unfortunately that. nothing can it, be done it, about it's,
3: it's so true, and that's one of my pet peeves as well, <coughs> because uh, it, they call it demand creation. And I think as, we, as, as engineers, uh, you know, you have required life. You give your customer one year warranty on your washing machine, right? At the most, you want to make sure it lasts for two years and it dies in two years, so there's somebody's buying a new machine, so you can, you can, I mean, same dishwasher. I mean, it's amazing. I, in a new neighborhood that we guys live in, I mean, every time you'll see somebody, oh, my dishwasher is broken, my washing machine is broken. I lived in a house that was built uh, in 2002, I believe, in Beaumont, 10 years, I didn't. I mean, it's just like you oil your machines and change your filters and it's fine. Nowadays, it's almost, and there's no guilt. If you go tell them why it broke in, in two years, oh yeah, you only had one year warranty. You should have bought an extended warranty. Mm. Because nobody, if, if you know that it's gonna live, life as 15 years, you won't buy extended warranties. Now we were willing to buy extended warranties, or we need more, I call it a demand creation. Yeah. So just by design, you want to create those, those things to fail so that you need new stuff.
2: So not being extremist about it but if the thought process is such that that's fine, you want to rotate money, you want to create uh, demand and you want to help economies, whatever, then how can you use sustainable or recyclable materials and that, what what are the pieces, what can be done and then upfront, say that this has a shelf life of 3 or 5 years, at the most it can be plus 2, plus 3 years and it's priced accordingly. Yeah but if you think
1: about... 15 years ago, the technology what we had, the features what we get now versus 15 years ago, amount of water usage compared to the old machine okay. versus new efficiencies, right? And the price break. So the computer 20 years ago, the computer price, what you can get, true. Very true. right? So, so I was at NASA and I was looking at it. When the first time they put the uh, Apollo 11 was the first time it hit the moon, the technology what they use, this phone has 10,000 more powerful processing unit wow. than that technology what they put the uh really you know apollo right so i mean something to give and take yeah. uh technology wise we have come far ahead in the last 15 20 <laughs> years um efficiencies wise and uh, and for the environment all this data what we see all these uh, things that we offer to save the planet whatever we want to call it i think this is the time to do it too. I mean, this is the time we can offer that too. Uh, and it is being done. It is being done by all the oil and gas companies if they want to stay in the business. So yes, they want to take the, the biggest you know, piece on the rewards. At the same time, they have to play by the rules. Uh, not all, only here. If, if there is a labor issue in China that creates a problem for Apple here, mm-hmm. right? The stock clearly impacts by If you use bad labor or child labor or something, those report comes out. So they are even following these additional imposed rules wherever their footprints are. So yeah, that's part of the capitalism.
0: And one more, one last point on this. Um, The demand for a certain idea or a product or a service if there is enough demand, there will be capital that goes into that that idea. So, for example, there is something called ESG investing now, you know, it's environmental social governance. Uh, these uh, investors invest only in companies that are uh, fitting the criteria of ESG. Yeah, there's a score. Yeah, there's a score, exactly, there is a score. In fact, there's an index. Yeah. So, you if there is and and and, and last year and now i may be getting these numbers wrong but last year esg funds attracted close to i want to say 10 billion dollars i think you, it's even more so if there is a demand if you say i only want a washing machine made out of recyclable parts if there is enough demand trust me capital will flow there and somebody is oh, going yeah. to produce I, it. I don't doubt it. Absolutely. Yeah. Do okay. That's what capitalism does. If there is enough enough buy in, you will get a product that is going to satisfy your need. And it's a it's 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 the most liberating thing I think in my view. You can't force anybody to do anything. It's what the marketplace provides. And if there is demand there will be more. Uh, But, uh, hey guys, listen, I think we're getting to the end. I just, couple of uh, trivia questions to end this. (laughs) I thought would be good, okay. Um, So, the beginning of the stock markets, nobody, you know, it's traced to, um, actually, the charters given by UK and European governments to East India Company, Mm. okay. Mm -hmm. Investors or people who, were financing East India Company's ventures everywhere in the world were given promissory notes. Right. And they would be selling and buying these promissory notes at a premium. And they were making money. That was kind of the beginnings of, uh, you know, this public ownership of of, of, of enterprises. So, um, the first bubble, following up on that, was a company called South Sea. South Seas Company, They've, they looked at what East India Company was doing and they said, oh we can do this. So they issued a lot of promissory notes, but it was, it was all fake. So when the time came to pay up, they couldn't, they collapsed. That was the first bubble, okay. Um, anybody know what the first stock exchange was? London maybe? Yes, it was the London stock exchange uh would anybody know what the first us stock exchange was and when no it was actually uh, philadelphia 1790 nyse came two years later but it's obviously become more prominent and it's it's uh, it's much uh, much more uh, 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 famous now and uh, Last one, what is the oldest stock exchange of Asia? Indian. I think it's Baroda. Bombay Stock exchange. It's Bombay Stock Exchange. Bombay. 1855. Oh wow. <coughs> Actually, <laughs> I, I, I um, you know, if you go, I was in BSC, I started my career there. If you go, they have um, this, this the, the older people will, they they don't. They will always point to that. Hey, that was yeah. that was where the banyan tree was, <laughs> and we would stand there, and uh, or their their ancestors would stand there and, and conduct, hey. conduct the business. Conduct the business under the tree. Hey. Nice. Uh, thanks guys. Thanks. Appreciate your. Thank you.